let's generate our motivation. And we are here now, at this moment, able to listen and understand the Buddhist teachings. That's a very precious opportunity. And so let's make good use of it. And the best way to make good use of that, our precious human life, is to cultivate the bodhicitta, the loving, compassionate aspiration for full enlightenment in order to benefit all living beings. So let's generate that long-term motivation and then see our sharing in the Dharma now as one step towards actualizing that goal. Now when I uh, usually give talks about rebirth and karma, I usually start by saying one of the, the things that is difficult for us uh, in understanding the topic is that we don't remember our, our previous lives. But not remembering something is, does not indicate that it doesn't exist. For example, this morning I put two apple crumbles in the oven and I subsequently forgot that I put them in. Did anybody take them out? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So you see that the power of memory, us not remembering something, does not mean that it doesn't exist. Yeah. I I guess there's still apple crumbles and not burnt um, something or another. Very good. Um, but the point is, you know, our memory, <laughs> at least my memory, is not very good. <laughs> and the fact that we can't remember something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I think another thing that makes understanding rebirth uh, difficult for us is we have such a strong sense that I am the person that I am right now in this particular body, in this particular you know, ego identity. You know, we have a very strong identification with this body and this mind and this is who we are. And so there's the feeling that this is who I am, who I always have been, who I always will be. But if we just look at at that feeling, you know, a little bit more critically, we were all babies once. Hmm? Is the baby that you were the same person as you are now? Yeah? Can you remember when you were a baby? Did you have the same personality as a baby that you have now? Did you have the same body when you were a baby that you have now? Okay. Or let's say we live to be 80 years old. Are we going to have the same body, same personality? Will we be the same person? No. 
you know. So just even within this one lifetime, identifying with this feeling of who I am right now in the present body, my present personality. Even within one lifetime, we see that we aren't always who we think we are now. So if we get used to that, you know, then it doesn't take too much to stretch beyond this lifetime. Because our body is a baby, our body now, our body is an old person, quite distinct, aren't they? One time I had one of the groups I was teaching, we've all brought our baby pictures, and we tried to figure out who was who. You can't even do that often. You have a baby picture, an adult picture, an old age picture. You know, we can't put them together. So why do we think that we're one fixed person or one fixed personality? Even in this life, that isn't the case. Mm -hmm. So there's a a few different ways to, uh, to think about rebirth. And depending upon your personality, different ways may make more or less sense to you. One way that, that really helped me is thinking, you know, that what we call I right now, yeah, is something that's labeled in dependence upon a body and a mind being in association. So life is the body and the mind having some association. And dependence upon that we label I, okay, or whatever our, our personal name is. Hmm? But if we look closer, there's actually two components. There's a body and there's a mind. And they have two distinct continuums. Because the body is physical in nature. It's atomic. Okay? The consciousness is not physical. Okay? The consciousness or mind, it's, it's something that's clear and aware. So while you can measure the brain and other bodily things with scientific instruments, you can't really measure the mind with those instruments because the mind itself doesn't have a galvanic skin response. Okay, The mind itself doesn't have serotonin and dopamine. The mind itself doesn't have synapses. All those things belong to the brain. And the mind and the brain have some association but they're not the same thing quite interesting if you look in an encyclopedia and you look up brain you will come to a huge section huge page after page describing the brain you look up mind there's like one page you know the scientists get a little bit jittery when you ask them what mind is and they usually say, well, it's a byproduct of the brain. Well, thank you very much, but what does that mean? What's a byproduct of the brain? Okay. And, you know, if we think about it a little bit more, you know, the, the mind is the experiential part. Yeah, the mind experiences happiness and suffering. The brain doesn't experience that. Because you could have a brain sitting here on the table and you, you poke the area that gets activated when there's happiness or when there's suffering. Does that brain experience happiness and suffering? 
so. You know, it's just some lump of material. It's the consciousness that experiences happiness and suffering. And we label the person independent when we're talking about happiness and suffering chiefly in, in terms of the mind. Okay? That thing that is clear and knowing. So the mind is clear in the sense, first, that it isn't molecular, and second, in the sense that it has the power to reflect objects. And it's knowing in the sense that it can engage with objects. Can the brain reflect objects? Can it engage with objects? Without being associated with the mind, does the brain do anything? Yeah. When, you know, when we look at a dead body, there's something that's not there that used to be there. What is that thing that is no longer there? The brain's still there. What's no longer there is the mind, mind stream. Okay? So at the time of conception, the body and mind come together. You have the sperm and egg on one side and the mind from the other. At the time of death, they separate. Okay? The body has its continuity. It gets recycled in nature. Okay? The mind has its continuity. It goes on to a future life. Hmm? Or that's looking ahead. If we look backwards, start with our present mind. Um, what was the cause of our present mind? Where did our present mind come from? Well, from the mind we had this morning. Isn't our mind string now kind of a continuation of the mind this morning? Yeah, all your feelings, emotions, your thoughts, and so on. Okay. Well, then, and then the mind of this morning continues from the mind of yesterday from the nine to the day before and before and before and so you have this whole continuum of one moment of clarity and knowing you know following another or preceding another if you're tracing it backwards okay. and we get to a point <laughs> for me it's um, maybe 15 minutes where we can't remember <laughs> what we just did <laughs> yeah so, you know, if we look back even to our earliest childhood memories, even between now and then, there's so much that happened that we can't remember. Does that mean it didn't exist? Yeah. Do we remember being three months old? I don't think so. Yeah. Does that mean that we didn't have mind when we were three months old? We look at three-month-old babies now, we can tell there's a person there, there's a mind there. They're cognizing, they experience, they want to be happy, they don't want to suffer. Okay, so we can infer that even though we can't remember what the state of our mind was when we were three months old, there was a mind there, there was experience there. And then you just keep tracing it back, well, what about in the womb? You know, there was consciousness there too. Now, of course, we didn't have the linguistic ability and the conceptual ability then that we do now so we can't describe the experience but it was there and if we keep tracing back those moments of clarity and awareness in the womb 
we get to the point of conception where the mind stream first conjoined with, with the fertilized egg. Now what was the cause of that mind? That first moment of mind that's it, that was in the fertilized egg. Well every moment of mind before, you know, subsequent has come from a previous moment. So that mind too came from a previous moment of consciousness. A previous moment of clarity awareness. So that was a consciousness that existed before this life began. And so if we trace that consciousness back, then we have beginningless previous lives. So from a Buddhist viewpoint, there was never any beginning to the mind. In fact, if, if we really hang on to the idea that there's a beginning, we get into all sorts of logical tangles, you know, such as how can you prove there's a beginning? So we say, well, there must be a beginning. You know, well, then we say, well, look, the table had a beginning. Well, the table may have had a beginning, but did the materials that compose the table have a beginning? If you start tracing them back, yeah, we trace them back to the Big Bang, but there must have been something before the Big Bang, because you can't have something that is caused by nothing. Anything that exists has to have causes. The causes came before it. If there's no cause, you can't have the production of something. Okay? So if we try and trace the mind back, and or even physical matter back to a point where we say that was an absolute beginning and before that there was nothing that existed and so no cause that's completely unreasonable because out of nothing how can you produce something there had to have been a cause so in the case of material it's some kind of different material substance in the case of consciousness you know our individual mind stream it's a previous moment of mind There was there a beginning? Well, you know, again, there's difficulties with positing a beginning. Because if there was a cause that started the beginning, then something existed before the beginning and it wasn't the beginning. So we run into all sorts of problems, you know. Some people might assert, you know, some kind of external creator or something. But then, you know, again, the creator existed before the beginning, so the beginning isn't the beginning. And what created the creator? And if you say the creator was permanent, you know, the creator doesn't change, but creation involves change. How can something create without changing? So you see, there's all sorts of difficulties if we posit some kind of absolute beginning. So in Buddhism, we just say it's beginningless. It's kind of like the number line, you know, in math class. Yeah, number, minus one, minus two, minus three. Nothing on that end that, that you can point to as the final point. Plus one, plus two, plus three. Nothing on this end you can find point to as a final point. You know, they're infinite. So it's the same thing with the consciousness. So that's one way to think about rebirth, you know, just as a series of 
mind moments, the mind existing, you know, together with one body, and when that body loses the energy to be able to support the mind, the mind leaves and becomes associated with another body. And what makes the mind associated with one body rather than another body is what we call karma, which means actions. And that refers to our own actions, physical, verbal, and mental actions. So this is kind of um, the principle. You may find it in Christianity. You know, you reap what you sow. Yeah. Or New Age language says, what goes around comes around. Yeah. So, but it, it's any, even with those, the whole idea is that things don't happen causelessly. There's always causes before them. And if we're the one experiencing the result, then we must have had some connection with creating the cause for it. Because things don't happen randomly. Another way of of thinking about rebirth can be from the anecdotal, um, anecdotal level. Yeah, people telling stories of remembering rebirth. Um, The Tibetans have a custom of recognizing the incarnation of very famous spiritual masters. So they have a whole system by which they do that. You know, they, they do different divinations and they look for the child and then they check different signs with the child, what the child remembers and so on did any of you see the movie Kundun about how they found the present Dalai Lama okay so you'll remember in there you know there were certain scenes where the child remembered things from his past life Um, what I find incredible about that story is you know, there were different kind of signs that, that indicated where the, the 14th, the present Dalai Lama, would be born. Because when the 13th Dalai Lama, when his body lay in state in the Patala Palace in Lhasa, then on the northwest side, no, northeast side of the northeast pillar, there began to grow some kind of fungus or something like that. And strange formations in the sky began to appear in the northeast uh, part of the sky so they got the idea well we should look in the northeast for the incarnation of the Dalai Lama so they sent out a search party now when they sent out a search party the search party doesn't go saying we're looking for the Dalai Lama because everybody's going to bring their kid and say it's my kid you know because according to every parent their own kid is the genius of the world okay and every parent wants their kid to be recognized as somebody okay so the search party went out they were disguised as merchants and in old Tibet they didn't have hotels and motels when you were traveling you just stopped at a farmhouse and asked if you could stay the night there and people usually let you even when I was traveling in Tibet in 1986 that was, that's what we did so they, you know, they certainly that's been their custom for quite a long time anyway, so they had this one uh, lama 
What's his name? Starts with an S. Can't remember it. Anyway, he was the head of the search party, and he dressed up as one of the people who took care of the animals. Because you know, they didn't have cars, they had all the transport was by animals or by foot. And uh, he was dressed up as the guy who took care of the animals because when a visiting party was welcomed into a home, the merchants were taken into the shrine room and the animal carers, caretakers, were taken into the kitchen and the children were always in the kitchen. Yeah, they didn't go to the shrine room, maybe because they would break something. Um, So, uh, this one mama was dressed up as the guy and he went into the kitchen and he's sitting there, so he's not wearing his robes, even though he's a monk. Okay, he's sitting there drinking butter tea, probably, which, ugh, can't stand. Okay, but that was love. And this little kid comes and jumps on his lap. Now, the Lama is wearing prayer beads from the 13th Dalai Lama. Okay? And the kid starts pulling on them, saying, these are mine. And somebody else who is in the party said, well, we'll give them to you if you can tell us who, who this man is. And he said, oh, you're Lama so-and-so from Sarajay Monastery. You know, he was able to identify him. Hmm? Pretty interesting for a two-year-old, three-year-old, you know. Okay, so you know the the child is able to remember things, remember people. Um, you know, the, this Dalai Lama was able to speak the Lhasa dialect, which was not the dialect of Tibetan that was spoken in Amdo, his birth area. Okay, there's all these kinds of things that really clearly indicated that he was an incarnation of the 13th Dalai Lama. So, all of us are incarnations of some being or another, okay, Um, maybe human beings, maybe animals, maybe all sorts of other life forms. You know, we don't know what we were, who we were in a previous life, okay. But, you know, the continuity of mind keeps going on. It, it, it never gets shut off. Yeah. So, uh, and even I'll, I'll tell you another story that I, I saw on a video, and I really wish I knew the name of this video. Somebody had um, done uh, some interviews with people who had remembered their previous lives. So there was one woman in Australia and she remembered in a previous life being, I think the name was Dr. James Burns from a medical college in Edinburgh, Scotland. So these researchers took her to Edinburgh. She had never been there before. And they took her there. She arrived, she was blindfolded. Okay, when they took the blindfold off, she was able to, I forget what part of the town they stopped the car at, but she was able to wind through the streets and find her way to the medical college. And as she's going through the medical college, this is all on the video, there she's saying, 
oh yes I remember this and I remember this and you know I'm kind of pointing out things how how what's coming ahead as they're walking and at one point she said no this is not this is not how I remember it there was not this room or corridor or whatever it was but you know she said this this is changed you know and they went and the college actually had the floor plans from some centuries ago because there was a Dr. James Burns who had studied there and they had the floor plans of the college from the time he was there and they checked those floor plans and sure enough that area in the college had been um, remodeled and the floor plan was as this woman had remembered it being so you have these kinds of situations just with ordinary people having some kind of recollection and if we um, even we don't have some deep feeling for rebirth it's an interesting idea to try on and see if it changes how we think of ourselves okay and how we understand the world around me around us for example many years ago I was teaching in Florida and there were several senior citizens at the talk that I gave because it was at a public uh, library you know somewhere in Florida and this woman came up to me afterwards and and because I gave a talk about rebirth and she said thank you very much that really helps me to understand my son because my son from the very time he was he was really little he had this uncanny aptitude towards music nobody else in our family has that aptitude or that knowledge about music but my son you know even when he was little we would go in some building or in a taxi or wherever and he would say oh this is Beethoven's number whatever it is or Chopin's number whatever it is and she said I had no clue but he seemed really familiar with this music and then she continued she said now if I think about rebirth you know then this could explain why because maybe in a previous life he had you know some association with music maybe he was a musician and because some people have memory traces from things in their previous life then this is coming up you know now and so you know often young children say very peculiar things don't they and parents usually go oh you were just dreaming dear you know how it is a kid says oh I, I remember this or that or, and the parents go oh that didn't happen you were just imagining it you were just dreaming it but we don't really know you know because young children before their minds get filled with all the stuff that we adults have in our minds there's some kind of clarity there that very well might have some memory mm-hmm. and so you know if we just kind of provisionally accept the idea of rebirth it might help explain some things in our life you know like have you ever wondered why you had certain kind of habitual emotions or habitual thought patterns as a child and as an adult yeah ever wondered that or how many of you have kids yeah 
Did your kids have personalities when they were born? You bet they did. Yeah? Were two kids, if you have more than one kid, did they, were they the same? Personalities? No way. Even if they were twins. Yeah, you could tell them apart right away. Yeah? Because people don't come in as blank slates. There's certain patterns or certain habits, just things that we're familiar with from a previous life. Yeah? And so you find that some children, let's say, are naturally very compassionate. You know, they always want to take care of animals or take care of other children. Even their parents didn't teach them that. You know, still, instinctively, kind of, they have that tendency. Then other children, from the get-go, maybe they like to kick dogs and, you know, squish snails and things like that. Nobody taught them to do that. But, you know, maybe some kind of habit from a previous life. That doesn't mean that we're going to have that habit all during this life. Okay? Because a habit is simply a group of actions that have some similarity. And we can certainly change our habits. So according to what we learn, according to what we practice, then our habits can can change a lot. But we see that sometimes we come in with certain tendencies that clearly didn't come from our families. I mean, just, just look at your interest in Buddhism. Yeah? Well, now, in the West, we usually describe things as nature and nurture. Okay. Well, nature. Yeah. How many of us had Buddhist ancestors? Not my family. <laughs> yeah? Okay. So, you know, there's some interest in Buddhism. It didn't come genealogically. Yeah? Okay. What about nurture? How many of us grew up with some Buddhist influence in our lives when we were kids? Okay, one one person. You know, I certainly didn't. Then how do you explain that later in our lives we were interested in Buddhism? Yeah? Why? No. Well, you could say maybe there was some connection with it from a previous life. You know, maybe we had met the teachings before, or heard something, or met somebody who was Buddhist. Who knows? You know, but that planted some seeds in our mind stream, so that this lifetime there's some curiosity and interest. So it can be quite interesting you know as a way to understand who we are um, to think a little bit about rebirth Mm -hmm. and about all the various conditioning factors that make us who we are today some of them are are, you know through genes some of them are through this life's conditioning and some are through karmic conditioning So we're very much conditioned phenomena. We're not permanent fixed entities with inherently existent personalities. Okay, so how does karma play into this? Like I said before, karma means action and it refers to 
to our physical, verbal, and mental actions. So we're acting all the time to a greater or lesser degree. Yeah, there's always some kind of action going on. And so our various actions leave, I mean, you could call it an energy trace, but it's nothing physical. Yeah, we call it a karmic seed, but again, it's nothing physical or material. But it's like a remnant, you know, here's this action, and then there's some continuity, some energy left over, you know, when that action ceases. Something, I mean, we just see in our life, you know, we do an action and it's not like there's no result of our action. There's results of our actions all the time. Okay, so this karmic seed is just one result of our action, and that karmic seed carries the potential with it that can ripen into who we're born as, it can ripen into what we experience, it can ripen into certain habitual actions, it can ripen into uh, where we, you know, where we're reborn, the environment, and what happens in the environment. So all these kinds of things, one of the conditioning elements in them, are our previous actions. So what that means, it's good news and it's bad news. <laughs> okay. The good news is that that means we have some responsibility and control over what we come, become. The bad news is we have some responsibility and control over what we become. Okay. Why do I say good news and bad news? Because we like the responsibility and control when we feel like having it. And why I said bad news is that when we're miserable, we don't want any responsibility for it. It's always somebody else's fault. Hmm? But what the, uh, the concept of karma brings into very clear focus is that things do not happen by accident. They're not predetermined. They're not fated. Okay. Yeah. They're dependent arising, but they're not predetermined. Uh, and the things that they depend on, our experiences depend on, to a great, you know, to some extent, have to do with our actions, either actions earlier in this lifetime or actions in a previous life. So, you know, what we do brings effects. What we're experiencing comes from causes that we created. So things are not independent, isolated events or units, but they always exist as a result of causes that came before them and as causes of what will come after them. Okay. So today, let's everybody have breakfast? Yeah? Okay. So we had breakfast. Very minor thing. We probably eat and forget about it. But you know, there were karmic causes for us having breakfast. It wasn't just you know, the farmers and the, the uh, truckers and whoever, you know, grew the food and shipped it and transported it and cooked it. The food didn't come just from those people and just from the ground that produced it. 
Okay, but why was it that we were able to have breakfast this morning? We had created the karmic cause to be able to receive food. And that usually comes through being generous. Okay, through sharing food, through sharing. In other words, sharing, giving, being generous is the cause, karmic cause of receiving. Yeah. So that means that there was some karma involved in us having the food this morning. Hmm? When we think about it that way, then we can kind of thank the person, whoever we were, in whatever lifetime, who created some good karma that ripened this morning in our having breakfast. Yeah. So that's okay. Now, if, if we have some, some problem today, yeah, let's say we get a stomachache from eating breakfast, then what happens? You know, then we get quite upset. Oh, who prepared this food? Why did I get a stomachache? It's not fair that I'm sick. You know, somebody must have not cooked this food properly. Or food poisoning, on and on and on. You know, gee, this body, ma, ma, ma. You know, full of complaints we are. Okay? And yet the stomachache is equally a cause of our previous actions as was the fact of getting breakfast. Getting breakfast was a, co- a result of generosity. Okay? Having the stomachache was a result probably of doing something that made somebody else sick to their stomach. You know? Harming somebody physically, doing something quite repugnant to somebody else. Okay? So, uh, what I think is quite interesting is when we have some, some pain or some misery, some misfortune, then we always say, what did I do to deserve this? Yeah? You remember that? Yeah? My parents used to say it whenever I misbehaved. <laughs> what did I do to deserve a kid like you? You know? Well, I didn't want to tell them. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, whenever we, we have something we don't like, we say, you know, what did I do to deserve it? But when we have some happiness, do we ever stop and think, what did I do to deserve this? No. We usually say, give me more. <laughs> yeah. This says something about our, how our mind works, doesn't it? Yeah. We're always ready to complain, always ready to bellyache, <laughs> literally or figuratively, you know. But if we look at our life, we have so many good circumstances going for us, and these all came about in part due to the karma we created in previous lives. Similarly, the misery we experienced came about from actions we did in previous lives. And in the same way, what we're doing now is creating the cause for what we will experience in the future. So that's why at the beginning of the talk here, we took a few minutes and we generated a a motivation of love and compassion because the motivation is a very chief determining factor in the, you know, the kind of karma we create, if it's positive karma or harmful karma. Okay, the motivation, if we have a motivation of loving kindness versus 
if we have a motivation of self-centeredness and spite you know they're very different those motivations create different actions they create different karmic seeds that are left in our mind stream so we try continually to to plant to to generate and be very conscious of our motivation so that we can continually create positive actions that leave good imprints in our mind that will ripen in happiness and that will not only ripen in happiness but will ripen in our being able to attain spiritual realizations at the same time we want to avoid doing actions from you know negative actions or actions that stem from a harmful motivation because we know that we're basically just harming ourselves in the long term when we do that and then the third thing we learn from this is actions that we've created in the past if they were positive actions so we created some good karmic seeds then it's important for us to dedicate those and steer them towards having so that we may have uh, other good conditions for practicing the Buddhist teachings so that we may gain the realizations of the path and attain Buddhahood so it's important to dedicate the positive karmic seeds and similarly the seeds of whatever harmful actions we've done in the past it's important that we do some purification so you know to cut their energy so that they don't ripen bringing suffering that we don't want Okay, so that's a little bit of an introduction to um, karma and rebirth in uh, open heart clear mind which is the text for this series of talks then there's a chapter on rebirth there's a chapter on karma so you can read these and they will fill in some of the things of what I said